Anyone else need one? I have an extra one right here. Hmm? Okay. Okay. We're a family. We're allowed to do all this. All right, please go ahead and turn in your Bibles once again to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is where we have been studying because our, our deep desire uh, as leadership, uh, myself and the other elders and uh, so many of you as I've talked with you, is to, to get God's vision for the church to, to stop looking at uh, what the world is telling us church should look like, to stop looking at what other churches are doing, to stop looking at the way we've always done it or the way even Jeff and I have led us to do church, but to say, what is God's vision for the church? What does he want it to look like for his good purposes? And so as we, we come into this week, I just want to remind you God created humans for community, for relationship, namely relationship with God, that vertical relationship, but also horizontal community, horizontal relationship. But to take that a step further, what we, we also saw last week is that God has recreated Christians for what the Bible calls fellowship. It's a greater depth of, of relationship. Fellowship is what we have Christian, as Christians have been recreated for. That is deep fellowship, partaking, partnership with God, but also deep fellowship, partnership, partaking with one another. This is, and, and please just make no mistake, this is how God has chosen to grow us as Christians and how he has chosen to glorify himself through the Great Commission, making disciples of all nations. And so that what, what I want to say very clearly is without fellowship, without this partnership, this partaking, uh, this doing life with one another, we will not find our greatest faithfulness to God, nor will we find our greatest fruitfulness for God. That is, we will not look as much like Christ as we should look, and we will not be as good of fishers of men as we could be or should be without fellowship. God has created us for fellowship. This is his plan. And, and it's one of those things that we say, I thought that Christ alone is sufficient. Yes, yes, Christ alone is sufficient for your salvation, for your new life. Uh, Christ is sufficient, but part of what Christ has done in his uh, sin-bearing uh, crucifixion, in his resurrection from the dead, is he has created a new people for himself. Uh, Ephesians calls it the one new man. Like It just speaks of us as, as one new person, uh, and so... Yes, Christ is sufficient, but he has uh, ordained that we need one another for faithfulness and fruitfulness. This is God's plan, and this is what God has prescribed for us as Christians. And so we're just going to keep on digging deeper here. And I want to go ahead and read today's text. And we're just going to keep, uh, you know, kind of like an onion. We're just peeling back layers of what fellowship looks like. And I, I decided to go ahead and start in um, verse 41 today because it just helps us get the context a little bit of what's going on. Uh, so I've got 41 on, on, your, on the screen, but just in your Bibles, I'll start reading at verse 41. Acts 2, 41. So those who received his word, that's Peter's sermon at Pentecost, those who received his word were baptized and, were, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls there in Jerusalem. Then we pick up in 42. And they, these, these new believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. 
and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Join me in prayer one more time before we, we begin to dig in. Father God, we, we so desperately want that to be the result. That verse 47, that we would have favor with all the people. That the world would see that we are truly your disciples. That the world would know that Jesus was truly sent from you. That the world would know that what Jesus accomplished on the cross and in his resurrection is what they desperately need. God, that's what I see in that favor. And Lord, through that, we want that, that through your grace, by your power, that you would add day by day those who are being saved through our community, God. We want that. We recognize that fellowship has something to do with that as we've been uh, studying these past few weeks. But Lord, as we, we, we peel back another layer, would you give us insight? Would you give us encouragement? And would you lead us uh, to follow your vision for our lives as Christians and your vision for our lives together as the household of God? Would you do these things, I pray, in the name of Jesus? Amen. So today I'm going to do things uh, a little different. I only have one point in the notes, sort of. That's kind of a, a pastor's trick to make one point and then 12 subpoints, you know. Uh, so yeah, I've got one point and then uh, we're really just going to follow through that point uh, through the rest of the sermon. And the, the, the way I want to do this is, and think about this is we say, okay, fellowship. Well, that's a broad word. What does that fellowship mean? Like where should that happen? Like what is the context of fellowship that I need and that you need for faithfulness and fruitfulness to come through my life? What, what is the context? Like, how many people should I surround myself with? How deep should I go with people um, if I want to grow to be like Christ and if I want to be used by God for the Great Commission? And so here's what I want to do. I'm, I'm going to, this is number one in your notes. I want to make a case for, this is just weird wording, this is all I could think of, a case for big, mid, and very small size fellowship. So that's big size fellowship, kind of like what we're doing right here, right now. Um, you have middle size fellowship, that's kind of, you know, your Sunday school size, you know, your 15 um, or so, uh, small group size. Uh, oddly enough, we call that small group. But then the next one is very small size fellowship. What I mean by that is by very small is you and one other Christian fellowshipping, or maybe you and in maybe two others, like very small, a very small circle. And this could, by the way, be you and your family and one other family. Like uh, we, we, all, we have families, and so it doesn't necessarily have to be just one-on-one -on -one or one-on-two. It could be one uh, family and another family. That's what I'm calling very small size. And so yeah, again, just you have the big, which is a, a group of Christians who have covenanted together. We call that church membership, saying, yes, we're a part of the, the universal church, but we are going to be in this local church expression together. We are going to fellowship together. And so I'm, I'm hesitant to put numbers on that, you know, <laughs> on, on what size that would be, because Covenant communities uh, vary in size by so much. You know, you have some that are thousands of people that come together at one time, and they've, they've covenanted with one another. Um, and it, but it can get down to, you know, like 15 people being together, saying, you know, we are a, a, a local body, a local church, an expression of Christ's body. But then again, mid-sized fellowship. I just want to make sure we know these terms a little bit. Uh, I'm again, the way we do this is uh, we have our Sunday schools. Those are mid-size, right? You know, that, that 
you, you have a little more input. You, you're, <laughs> it's a little more intimate, you might say. Uh, we have our small groups, of course, um, that, that are more intimate. Uh, we have our Wednesday prayer meeting um, that sometimes can be a very small fellowship, <laughs> but usually it's supposed to be about that mid-sized fellowship, um, depending on how many people come. Uh, but then I also think of our, our men's and women's gatherings. You know, uh, the guys gather on Sunday morning over at Hardy's, and, and the women often have their, their get-togethers, and those are just mid-sized. Like, uh, you're not just one in the crowd, you're, 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 you're one in a much uh, a middle-sized, medium-sized group. And then, of course, that very small size fellowship is just you saying, hey, I want to meet with you. Like, it doesn't have to be that formal, but hey, you want to come over for dinner, you know, and, and like you're, you're engaging them. So these are the three different size, sizes of fellowship that honestly, just intuitively, we know these exist, right? That, that the dynamics are different in this room compared to if you're sitting at my dinner table uh, just you and your family with me. Like the dynamics are different. And, and there's all, all the different um, dynamics in between with the, the medium size as well. But here's what I want to do. I, I want to show you how each one of these sizes of fellowship is good for you, important for you, and for our whole church uh, to be doing these. Like I, I want to show you the pros of each, how they all uh, have, have merit in your life for both your faithfulness and your fruitfulness. But what I also want to do is, kind of as we go through these, I want the, the deficiencies of each to rise up as well. I, I want you to see how what we are doing right now in this big size fellowship is deficient in, in the fullness of what it means to fellowship. It is not enough. And I, and I want you to see, on the other hand, how one-on-one -on -one, uh, fellowship, you with another person, also has deficiencies. While it has strengths, just like the big size fellowship has strengths, it also has deficiencies. And you say, well, why do you want us to see the deficiencies? Because I want you to see that we need them all. I want you to see that we need all these different levels of fellowship. And this is what that my sermon title is, Rhythms of Fellowship. We need rhythms of fellowship, to gather with the big corporate covenant body, to gather in smaller groups that are still, you know, varied and different, um, and then also to gather with just people one-on-one -on -one or, you know, uh, just two or three people. I, I want you to see that we need them all, that they all have strengths, that they all have weaknesses, but God has uh, designed that we, we do them all, and so that is my goal today. I want to make a case for each of these, but also why each of these are deficient and need the other size, sizes of fellowship. Again, it's, it is a different style sermon than I normally do, but I think it's important that we understand these things. I, I do also want to say, some of you are going to say, this is common sense. Like, this is intuitive. Yes, I know. <laughs> like, that's part of it. Like, God has wired these things into our brains and into our hearts to know that we need these different sizes of fellowship uh, but I want to show you from God's word, that's not just your intuition. This is uh, the way God wants these things to be. Uh, as we look primarily at the book of Acts today, I want to show you why each of these are imperative for your godliness and imperative for us fulfilling the Great Commission, doing our part in the Great Commission. So I'm kind of just going to look at some categories of what happens uh, in, in each of these areas. And so the first one I want us to look at is God's word. God's word. That's the next little fill-in uh, on, <clears throat> uh, on your sheets. So God's word. And so I just kind of want us to think about this for a moment. They, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, it said in Acts, um, Acts 2, verse 42. I think I've got that. Yeah, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and then it says, and day by day they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. And so let me ask you, where, where do you think God's word, and we talked about this, it's God's word in relation to Christ, was being taught with the greatest accuracy? Where was it being taught with the greatest accuracy? Was it most accurate 
uh, just when, when two Christians, you know, they, they've just trusted in Jesus on Pentecost and they're hanging out like, is, is, is them talking about God's word going to be most accurate in that setting? Or even the middle-sized group, a few of them get together in their homes uh, to, to break bread and, and talk about the Bible. Is that going to be most accurate? Well, I mean, I, I would just make the case uh, that I believe that in the, the big fellowship setting is where the foundation should be set for those smaller groups and for the one-on-one talk to make sure they are founded on the truth of God's word. And, and I do see this in the book of Acts. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's already uh, one part. But there you see the two different places that they were meeting together, you know, uh, in devotion to, to the apostles' teaching and in devotion to fellowship. It says to the te- they were attending the temple and breaking bread in their homes. And so I was thinking about the, this. Where do you think the apostles were teaching? Do you think they were, were traveling around the homes? Well, let's think about that. Um, you have 3,000. There would now be a total of 3,120 thereabouts uh, people, and then more being added day by day. Say 30 people can fit in a house on average. That's kind of doubtful, honestly, uh, in their day that 30 people could fit in a house. Do you think the apostles are coming around and teaching groups of 30 at a time? Is that an efficient way to, 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 to teach it accurately teach um, 3,000 people. I mean, if you do some simple math, that's over 100 houses. If they could fit in a, you know, an average of 30 in their houses in these medium-sized groups, kind of bigger than medium even, um, you know, that, that's over 100 homes. And so I, what I want to point out is there was a place for meeting at the temple. Now, we understand uh, that they weren't actually probably meeting inside the temple. Later we see there on like Solomon's portico, the, the porch there, outside and so they were able to have thousands of people come and hear the apostles teaching um, all at the same time rather than having to travel around you say well why do they need it directly from the apostles well let's think about this it's an interesting thing that happens in in acts 6 Um, we'll see the apostles teaching get threatened and how they respond Uh, acts 6 verses 1 through 4 it says now in these days When the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So the church was taking care of of, uh, widows, and and there's a complaint that comes from the Hellenists. That's the the Greek people versus uh, the Hebrew uh, women, I guess. Uh, Verse 2, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples... and said, so it's the 12 apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Verse four, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Say, where are you going with this? Where I'm going with this is this, like, I'm not an apostle, uh, like, I did not walk with Jesus, I was not physically sent by Jesus uh, to do these things, but what we see here is a principle that there, there, there is a category for people who have devoted themselves to praying through, studying, preparing, and preaching God's word. And this is just in the book of Acts, by the way. You, like, you get to the pastoral epistles and preaching the word gets a, a, a much bigger emphasis. Rightly handling the word of truth gets a much bigger emphasis. And, and there, there's a, uh, there, there are guidelines, qualifications for the elders and for the teachers uh, that they, they, must, you know, they must be ready to teach and to preach. And so th- this is kind of my point. That, that God has chosen as, as a part of his plan for getting his word out accurately, uh, not only to record his word, but to have his word preached accurately by those who are able to devote themselves to the careful study of God's word, careful preparation of how they're going to, to uh, proclaim that word and then proclaiming that word. There is a category for that. And again, if the apostles were to go to everyone's little house, like all these little fellowships, it wouldn't work. 
<laughs> there just wouldn't be enough time for everyone to get trained up to receive that good, firm foundation from God's word being taught uh, truly and powerfully. And, and so, uh, again, this, this isn't like for me as, a, as a, a pastor and as a preacher, like to lift me up. It's just to say, like, there is a place for what I'm doing right now. Like God has ordained that his word, and I'm not saying it happens all the time, uh, either in other churches, we know for sure many churches are not teaching God's word accurately, but even here, I'm not saying I'm perfect. You always need to be like the Bereans, right? Going back to God's word and making sure that's what it really says. But it should be that I have, been, have, have devoted myself to the study of God's word so that I can accurately proclaim it. And that's something that I can't do with each and every one of you individually or even in, in mid-sized groups. We come together. That happens at the, the, the big uh, fellowship, you might say. But I want to say this. Um, you have things like understanding, like making sure that you actually understand the text. I mean, I can preach till I'm blue in the face. Like, does that mean you'll, you'll understand it? What about uh, applying God's word to your, your real everyday life. Is that something that I can do? That I can go, okay, you work at, where you work, Provident? I can't remember where you work. Blue Cross, whatever. You see how well I would do with applying it to your, you know, I would say, now, how, the way you should apply God's word is this. The way you should apply God's word, I can't do that, <laughs> you know? Uh, I don't have the wisdom to do that, much less the time uh, to do that at the big gathering. Um, and then even accountability, like, can, can myself and, and the other elders really know if you're pursuing uh, obedience to God's word in your everyday life? We can't. Like, we're, we're just not able to be in everyone's life uh, all the time. And so I would say that is where the mid-size and the small size come. It should be that, that at, at our small group, someone says, you know, Jeff was up there preaching and like he seemed really confident in what he's saying, but I don't have a clue what he was talking about. You know, and, and like that's where other people fill us in. And you think about applications, you're able to talk about, you know, well, I work at Blue Cross and here's something that comes up, and, but I just can't figure out how to apply God's word to it. And others can say, well, you know, I'm actually in a similar situation. Here's how I'm applying. Like these are things that happen in the midsize and in the smaller groups that cannot happen elsewhere, and certainly uh, accountability. You think about accountability, um, like, I, I just, it'd be weird. I've seen it, uh, videos on church of pastors calling people out from the front. Um, <laughs> anyways, not the way it's supposed to be. Um, the accountability happens with people like that know your struggles, that know um, your, your sins, people that you trust, that you're willing to confide in and confess to. And so I kind of just want to move through a few things that we see here in Acts happen. Uh, Acts 18, 24 to 27. Uh, so this happens quite, quite a bit later in Acts. It says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus though he knew only the baptism of John. So Apollos is, is preaching the way, right? It, that, that's what Christianity was called before it was called Christianity. It was the way of the Lord. And, and so he was out preaching fervently, but he, didn't, he only knew about the baptism of John. That's John the Baptist, the, the baptism of repentance. But he did not know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so he had accurate information, but he had gaps in his information. He, he didn't know all the pieces. He didn't have full understanding. Uh, but we go on in verse 26. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And, and kind of just in the full context, because I read the full context, there, there was a group of Christians there at the synagogue and so you have kind of a medium, probably, sized group there. And th they hear that he doesn't have accurate understanding because, th because they're in a smaller context. And so they, they take him aside, and they're able to kindly and lovingly correct his understanding. And I, I would say, again, that, that should be happening in our Sunday schools. That should be happening in our small group situations. Um, 
I, we need to be kind and we need to be loving, but, but like being overly sensitive to people and letting them continue in error and untruth like ultimately is not a loving thing. We want to make sure that we truly understand the scriptures, that we, we don't have gaps in our understanding. And that's something that I simply cannot do, uh, that, that the other people who preach up here simply cannot do uh, with understanding. And then I, I, again, just think of a couple verses that remind us how desperately we need, these aren't in Acts, how desperately we need uh, accountability. Uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, this is just my favorite passage that talks about it. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So fall away means this is Christians. Make sure, brothers, that none of you is going to fall away from the living God. Verse 13, this tells us how we keep from that. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This, this requires uh, a greater intimacy, a greater uh, uh, contact with one another, a greater knowledge of one another than can happen in a big fellowship like this. The ability to exhort, and, and the Bible gives us other ways, um, you know, examples of how that can take place, but to exhort one another, that is to, to encourage one another in the truth, to rebuke one another when we're erring, to correct one another, to see the right way to go. We exhort one another that we may not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That requires the mid-sized group. That requires uh, and most often happens in the one-on-one the -on -one groups when, when we see each other walking in sin. Now, I do want to show you uh, in Matthew 18, this is what Jesus said, how we'll actually see uh, the fellowship size increase as we think about accountability. So listen to how it happens here. Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, this is one-on-one, -on -one, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. The, you, you see that. That's, that's the one-on-one -on -one fellowship. That's, we're partakers. We're partners in this. You see him in sin or even directly sins against you here, like then go tell him one-on-one -on -one alone. It says there, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. You, you, you've kept him from falling away from God. He's not being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Verse 16, but if he does not listen, take one or two brothers along with you. So the, the group is si uh, growing. That every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. But, verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. That's, that's the big fellowship, the, the covenant community there, the local church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. That is what we would call excommunication. We would say, you are no longer a part of our covenant community. Uh, you are no longer uh, in our fellowship. You can attend, but like we're not one another. Like we, we, we don't, we're not fellow partakers. We're not partners anymore um, in this. And so you see even Jesus showing like that all these different levels of fellowship are necessary for the apostles' teaching, being devoted to the apostles' teaching, being devoted to God's word. Because when we're erring, we need accountability. And we just we see that there going through the different levels. And so you have accuracy, you have understanding, um, you, you have uh, application happens in the smaller groups. You have um, <coughs> accountability, which, which spans all of these. And so I just want you to see, like, for your growth in God's word, you need all the different sizes of fellowship. You, you need someone to have prayerfully, thoughtfully studied God's word, prepared how they're going to, to teach it to you, and then, then to sit and listen so that you have a firm foundation when you walk out uh, and, and engage in these other areas. But you also need to be able to discuss it with others. You need to, to be able to have your, your understanding refined and to refine others. You need to, to think through with other people how to apply God's word. And then we got to hold each other accountable because, I mean, sin leads to death. Like, we, we don't want that. <laughs> we want accountability because sin leads to death. We don't want to have a hardened heart. We don't want to fall away uh, from the, the living God, as it said there in Hebrews. So we see that. God's word, to be, to be fully devoted to God's word, 
requires all three levels of these uh, of fellowship. Another category I want us to look at is prayer. And I, I include prayer for a couple of reasons, because prayer is kind of uh, happens quite often in the book of Acts, and you can, you can look up the word pray if you wanted and, and see the different times it happens. Um, <clears throat> but it was also included in, in Acts uh, 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Like, so prayer is, is a part of what they're devo- uh, devoted to. It flows from fellowship. You see that? Like, they, it flows from fellowship. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And so prayer is a big part of, of our, our faithfulness and our fruitfulness. It is a huge part. I, and I, I mean, I'll just go ahead and take a second to say this. Like, if you are not praying whether that be in private or, or with others, um, your life will not be fruitful. It will not be faithful. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. We must abide in him as a branch abides in the vine, drawing that sap out of him. And so we pray, we pray. We need God to, to move in this world to do uh, the things that we cannot do, which is most anything that matters. And so, uh, I, I kind of want to want to show you the different breakdown that I have here. Um, I was thinking in the big fellowship, you have leaders praying for you, leaders praying for you, and and what I mean by that is by being a part of a covenant community. Number one, you can know that you are prayed for. Like I, I spend time praying for each and every one of you. Uh, I sometimes spend time just praying over our body, uh, you know, in general umbrella prayers. But then I, I, I'll go through our church directory, I'll go through my text messages, you know, just all the different people I can think of in this church, and I will pray for you um, as best I can. But you, you think about that, and you say, okay, you, you pray for me, but I can't know, what, you know individually what's going on in each and every one of your lives. So there's a deficiency there. Uh, and by the way, Acts 6.4, 6, uh, they said, we'll devote ourselves to the prayer or sorry, to prayer and the ministry of the word. So, I mean, I think that the apostles were praying for these 3,000 new believers, but they got so many people to pray for. Like, they're, they're not getting all the prayer they would need. It's good. I would also say I pray for you here. Like, when I'm praying at the beginning of the service and, you know, uh, when we open the sermon and close, and all this, like, I'm hoping that I'm literally praying for you, meaning, like, I'm putting the words in your heart and the mouth that you're, you're, you're then sending up to God. Like, that's another way that I feel like we leaders pray for you uh, in the big gathering of we, we want our prayers that have been thought through and, you know, trying to, to ask God to do what we most need. We, we're hoping those are becoming your prayers as well. Uh, but in the middle size prayer, what we see is Christians praying with you and for you. Um, you know, in, in our small groups, we have the acronym R-E-A-L, REAL, uh, Relationships of Discipleship, Evangelistic Encouragement, Applying the Sermon to Real Life, and then that L is Lifting One Another Before God. And so it should be happening in our small groups and likely in our, our you know, our Sunday schools and, and all that as well, that we're able to not only have someone pray, you know, over us in general terms, but but to say, hey, what, what's going on in everyone's life? Like, do, do you have any requests that you can share? And so we can unload, you know, our, our burdens there or, or give our thanks there. And you have other people uh, praying with you and praying for you in a more specific ways. But I think we all know, again, we know these things intuitively, that, that there are certain things that you're not going to get prayed for in your small group or in your Sunday school. These are what I call prayers in the messy places. We, we all have messy places in our lives. Uh, th- this can be several things. It could be a messy place, meaning like I'm in the middle of it right now, so I'm going to shoot Douglas a text and say, man, you got to pray for me. Like I've got this going on. Like, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I need God to come through for me right now. And like, that's the messy place. I can't send that to everybody. I can't, you know, even send that to my full small group. Like, I, I need it. And so like in that messy place, we see that, by the way, in Acts uh, 16, 24, uh, that's when Paul and Silas are in prison and they're sitting there pray, praying 
and singing hymns together. I love it. That's what I want to be doing <laughs> if I go to prison with any of you. Let me know <laughs> if you want to do that. But they're, they're praying together in that messy place, in that real life mess. That, that it only happens in that one-on-one, very small fellowship, those intimate relationships that you have formed over time and building trust and, and doing life together, those messy places. But then there are other things that we might call messy places. I couldn't find any examples of this in Acts. <clears throat> Excuse me. But there, there are those things that like I, and I'm sure you, would be uncomfortable sharing, certainly in the big fellowship, but even in a small group setting that like, I'd just rather not share it. You know, that, that it's, it would be embarrassing for me or it would be sharing too much information to too many people. You know, maybe it's uh, parenting or marriage struggles or maybe it's that, that sin that you're embarrassed to talk about that you still struggle with. That's where we need the very small fellowship. Like that person, uh, James five sixteen says, uh, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you might be healed. Like, even in those messy places, we need prayer. And so what that means is we need all these different levels of fellowship. You, you, you want your leaders praying for you regularly. You want to come in here and have, have prayers that have been thought through become your prayers lifted up to God. You want to be able to have a whole group of people, you know, in your small group Sunday school praying for you and with you. But then you need people for those, those messy places, <laughs> those messy places of life. We see that uh, with prayer. And so, again, prayer is so powerful. It is such an inextricable uh, part of what it is to be faithful and fruitful, to ask God to do what we cannot. And so we need every level of fellowship for the prayers. The next thing I see is care. Care. You know, we've talked about that this is literally one of the definitions of the word fellowship. Like, we have all things in common. We care for one another. And so I think about uh, with, at these different levels, at the big gathering, us, the community, the covenant community, we are able to take care of big ongoing needs the way that, that the other levels may not. Uh, we, of course, see that in Acts uh, 2, to 45. It says there, <clears throat> this is our passage, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So, so, like, you just have a group of people who they know that here in Jerusalem, there are a lot of Christians who are deeply impoverished. Deeply impoverished. And, and so, they're saying, I have extra, so I, I can sell some of what I have, and then that extra can be distributed to any who has a need within our, our Christian community. And so you, you think about that with a, a church like ours, they, they were doing it, but like we're, we're all giving sort of into a pot and we do distribute as people have need. Uh, this is something that, that does regularly happen, that, that bigger needs that we wouldn't expect uh, for just a group or, or one or two people to take care of, we're able to take care of. I also see in the ongoing sense of things uh, the, the appointment of deacons. Again, I, I, I guess I can read it again. Um, <laughs> Acts 6, 1 through 4. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So there's a need, uh, an ongoing need that wasn't being fulfilled. <clears throat> Verse 3, there, uh, this is how the apostles respond. Therefore, brothers, Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Verse 5, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and uh, Prochorus, and Nican I don't know, yeah, Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and uh, Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. So they've appointed these men. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. That was Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through uh, 6, I believe. Yes. And so what you see happening with this, this big ongoing need, these widows, with these Christian widows are, are, are needing this ongoing help. And so the church is able to say, hey, we can actually appoint a group of people 
to a team to take care of that ongoing need. And, 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 and from the church, because people are giving them the proceeds, like they're able to do the distribution uh, in a way because it's just a bigger, more ongoing need. And the church, the big church, the big fellowship is able to do that. But I, but I think about this, though. Uh, I think there are other levels here. I, I think about people who have just kind of medium-sized needs and people who have small needs. Do all of those need to be fulfilled by the, the, the main church fellowship? Like, does everything have to come out of the church budget? I, I don't know about you, but, like, I understand the need for the big ongoing things, but, like, when someone is, uh, you know, ha- has an issue, and I think, man, I'd actually like to be a part of uh, being generous and taking care of them, like, I don't want to have to funnel it through the church budget, you know? <laughs> like, okay, I'll give $100 to the church budget, now you get that. No, like, we just, we do it. And you think about it in the mid and smaller groups, like we know about these uh, needs as well. Like as we're sharing prayer requests, it comes up, oh, you, you have that need. I, I could actually help you there. Um, and, and same for one-on-one, that there, there's a beautiful and special place for rather just than it being the corporate, I don't really like that word, but you know, the, the corporate fellowship, like we're, you're helped by the church budget, that we just help one another. They both have their place. But, but you can't partake in uh, that both beautiful expressions of care unless you're, you know, engaged in both levels of fellowship or all, all three levels of fellowship. We, we meet one another's needs as a church. That's part of what it means, again, to fellowship. This isn't like a small thing. It's very important that we care for one another. And I'll, I'll show you why right now, why it's so important that we care for one another. And we're going to keep going here. But the next category I want us to look at is that of mission. So we've talked about God's word, making sure that we're, we're, we're truly getting the apostles' teaching, God, God's word uh, accurately, understanding it, applying it, held accountable to it. You know, then, then we've talked about um, <clears throat> prayer at all the different levels. We've talked about caring for one another. So this is kind of the faithfulness side of things. This is kind of the Christ-likeness side of things, but mission, mission is the fruitfulness side. It is what we are doing making disciples, or is it just ending at us? Are we just a neat little club? And mission is so important, but what I want to show you is that all three levels of fellowship can and must be, must be is a strong word, should be, must be, I mean, you're, you're able to not, but it just isn't the best use of your fellowship, must be leveraged for mission, for making disciples of all nations. So I want to show you the first place I see this. We, we said just a moment ago uh, that, you know, they, they formed this deaconate. They formed these servants who would, who would help the widows. Um, and what that did, and I just love the Bible. It's, it's uh, almost like God wrote it. It's so smart. Um, The very next verse shows that in that caring for one another, as a big corporate church, in that caring for one another, it put the gospel on display. It put the gospel on display, not just in word, but also in deed. We see this, Acts um, chapter 6, verse 7. So this is the very next verse. They they laid their hands and prayed over these deacons uh, to be serving the widows. The very next verse says this. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. That's the first time the word multiplied has been used in Acts, by the way. It's been added up to this point. Uh, Multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And listen to this. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Ah, People are seeing the church care for one another. And I, I, I kind of want to zoom in on the priests there. A great many, not just a couple, a great many of the priests at this point in the church's history became obedient to the faith. Why does that follow directly after forming these seven deacons, you know, to, to care for the widows? Here's the way I think about it. You have these priests, they're, they're, they're Jewish priests, which had largely become a hollow religion at that point. It had become a formal religion of rules and laws. 
it's not what it was supposed to, to, to be. It was supposed to still be a religion of faith um, and, and a true religion. But these priests are looking at this church that's proclaiming Christ, crucified for our sins, risen from the dead. And so now th- this church is proclaiming that, and they're, they're looking at it, and they're saying, you know, I've been a priest for, for decades, and I, we have never taken care of our people like this. That, that's, that's like my logical conclusion there, that you see the church taking care of one another, literally forming a team to, to help those who are in need, and then all of a sudden these priests are becoming obedient to the faith, a great many of them. And this is the beauty of the big fellowship, of, of, that we're putting the gospel on display. There, there it's the big fellowship anyways, that the main church is doing it. It's showing people that we are truly changed by God. That we truly care for one another. That we're not just trying to use one another. You know, Christianity, Protestant Christianity, um, when you think about different religions, and I'm including like cults when I say the word religions, is one of the poorer uh, religions, meaning uh, like the, the big church doesn't get all that rich. And I'd say this is true for anyways. Let me just say this. <laughs> Our church is very careful not to use you. And to, to just say, like, we want your money so that we can build bigger, better, nicer. Like, we want to leverage your money for caring for one another, for the spread of the gospel, for your growth. And, and, and that is different uh, from, from many of these. Like, you think of the Mormon religion, like, they are mega rich. Like, but they're, they're, they're using uh, the people. Just, anyway, I could go too, too long on that. That's definitely not in my notes. But the gospel should and can be put on display at every level of fellowship, and, and with unique abilities. I, I can't go through all the different examples uh, in the book of Acts. It would just take so long. Um, but, you know, you think about with your small group. I just want to bring this to apply. How can your small group uh, be used to put the, the gospel on display in ways that we can't do in these four walls? Well, part of it is that you're able to have your, your small group outside of these four walls, you know, you, you, your neighbors can see it. Maybe if you meet at a restaurant, other people can, can see your love for one another, your care for one another. Um, even using this caring uh, for one another thing, like if, if, if you had something not good at your house, it's like bring your small group over to do it and like let your neighbors see it, that, that you're being cared for by your church. And again, we see this uh, one-on-one as well, that, that we care for one another in a way that puts, we, we love one another in a way that puts the gospel on display. Again, a city set upon a hill cannot be hidden, Jesus said. Like, we do. We want to put our gospel transformation with our togetherness on display for the world to see that a great many may become obedient to the faith. Uh, Another area that I see that this should happen at all different levels is um, to be encouraged to go out with the gospel. It is my desire that all of you are encouraged to go out with the gospel. We see that in Acts 8, 4. This is just talking about the the, the believers, and it was thousands of believers. It says, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So in context, Acts chapter 8, a persecution came upon the church at Jerusalem, and and pretty much everyone but but the apostles, like, were running, like, uh, and scattering, and but what did they scatter doing? They went about preaching the word. They had been encouraged by by presumably all these levels of fellowship that we're seeing to go out and not just hide their faith, but to preach it, to share with those who so desperately <clears throat> needed to hear. And and I, again, I think about that here in our in our big fellowship, like. It is my hope that in here that, that, that God's power is working through preaching, through the foolishness of preaching, uh, Paul says in, uh, to the Corinthians, that, the, that he's filling your heart with a desire to share this great gospel of Jesus Christ. Then it's my hope that in your smaller groups, I know my small group does it, um, I, I know the other ones do, I know the prayer meeting does it, that you're sharing like, hey, here, here are some people I, I'm trying to reach and, and um, you know, like, I, I just haven't had the boldness or, you know, I haven't got the opportunity. And, and like, we pray for one another. I bet from our, the prayer meeting, I could list 20 people off the top of my head that we are currently praying for 
um, that, that they'll, they'll come to know Jesus and that God will use that person who's in relation with them to go tell them, to, to share that gospel. And, and you know, what, what's been really amazing with that is crossing off names. Uh, that's a, a beautiful part of that is that God does hear, answer our prayers. He does give us boldness to go share and to uh, continue sharing the gospel and people do come to faith. But we should be encouraged in that. But I'll also say this, um, encouraged to go out with the gospel. Um, I was telling my small group this the other day. Uh, I, I have seen that, that, the, that a certain period of my life, I had one or two guys that, that we were just pushing one another to share the gospel. Like It wasn't like a condemning. It was just like, a, man, these people need to know. My coworkers need to know. My friend needs to know. My family needs to know. And so, like, we were encouraging one another to share the gospel, and we're praying for one another. And we're literally, I mean, I can just remember times sitting in a car before uh, going into someone's apartment or whatever that we wanted to share the gospel with, that sitting there talking with my friends saying, like, so how do you think we can get to the topic of Jesus? Like, how, how do you, you know, like, when we talk about how we could maybe lead the conversation there, um, and, and in that season where I, where I was doing that with people, we saw so many people come to faith. <laughs> people, people that were coworkers, you know, they'd maybe work at, um, you know, Texas Roadhouse or whatever. And like, we'd see the coworkers coming to faith. We'd see family members coming to faith. We'd see the friends coming to faith. And, and like, number one, we were encouraging each other and praying for one another to share the gospel. That was in this close, uh, very small fellowship. But another amazing part with with that is like in the very small fellowship you can go with them and that's what i'm saying like i'd, I'd be at like their friend's apartment sitting there and we'd be talking about okay he, this these are things that he likes like you know he, we can try to get the gospel here we'd be thinking of ways to share the gospel not alone but together and i can tell you when you get into a room with an unbeliever and it's just you one-on-one -on -one and you want to share the gospel Man, that pit in your stomach is strong, it's, it's, and it can be hard to get the words out. But when you have a brother or a sister in Christ right there with you working to get it, and you're kind of feeding off each other, the, the word do, does come out that much more smoothly, that much more boldly, that much uh, more lovingly. Like, th these are things that I have witnessed in my own life, and, and we certainly see in the Bible uh, that, that these people, like, rarely went out alone. I can think of... Um, Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch. Like, that's the only time I can really think of someone, uh, you know, going alone or being sent alone to share the gospel. Um, generally, it is best to be trying to share with each other. It doesn't mean we can't do it alone, obviously, with, uh, when God gives us the opportunities. But we should be heavily encouraged, uh, not only pushing one another to share, but maybe even going and sharing the gospel, finding ways to share the gospel together. But there is one uh, final aspect of this I, I, I want to hit. Sending and supporting missionaries. Sending and supporting missionaries. Friends, I, I want to be like careful here because I um, like there, again, just as much as there's a place for the preaching of God's word in the gathered fellowship, there is a place for reaching your neighbors. There's a place for reaching your coworkers. There's a place for, for sharing the gospel where you're at. But we need to remember that the ultimate mission that Christ Jesus has given us is not just to our neighbors, but to the nations, all nations. You remember the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That, that's the responsibility he's given us. But we also see the power he's given us in the Holy Spirit for this very same task. Acts 1, 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's the command and that's what he's given us the power for. Yes, we want to make disciples here. Yes. But we cannot leave it there. And we're going to spend another sermon later uh, going deeper into that. Uh, but for now, I think anyways, for now, I, I just want to tell you, like, we need to remember that missionaries matter. That people leaving the comfort uh, of their, their home and of their, their normal community matters. And so community, fellowship, that's where missionaries are sent out of. That's how missionaries are supported to do their work.
And by the way, sent out of could be you. <laughs> could be you. Paul, uh, in, in the book of Acts, was, oh, I think I already had it up there. No, I didn't. There we go. Paul, in the book of Acts, chapter 13, he was commissioned by the church at Antioch, he and Barnabas, to go as missionaries. It says there, chapter 13, verse 2 and 3, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Paul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So Paul knew, I need to share this gospel. I need to take it as far to the ends of the earth as I possibly can. But he still at this time is, is fellowshipping with a big fellowship. They're fasting and praying, and it is agreed upon by the whole church that, yes, you are called to do this. And so they, they pray over them, they lay their hands on them, and they send them out. They commission them. Uh, we learn from uh, Philippians chapter 4 that Paul was supported financially with, with uh, the things that he needed by the church at Philippi. And then, of course, we think about the fact that, that Paul was often encouraged by, by, by just one or two, you know. And, and like he had his Barnabas, he had his uh, Silas, he had his Timothy, he had uh, John Mark. Like he, he had people to go with him. He did not go alone. If, if you read through the book of Acts, there are short spurts that, that Paul uh, goes off alone for whatever reason to another place and says, okay, but you need to meet back up with me. He always wanted to be in fellowship with others. And you can read about it again um, in, in, in Acts, but also if you look at Paul's epistles, like he'll just be saying, like, I am desperate for this person to be with me. Like, I, I want to send him to you soon, but I need him here with me right now. Paul needed fellowship. Paul needed partnership. Paul needed encouragement to continue on the mission to make disciples of all nations. This is the greatest missionary we have ever seen that, that, that I know of, but quite likely is Paul, and he needed fellowship. He needed the big community to affirm and, and commission him, to send him. He needed uh, the Philippian church, to, which was a smaller one, by the way, the church at Philippi, was smaller, to, to support him financially, and he needed brothers by his side. This is what fellowship should and must produce. People who, who not only hear God's word, but obey it. As we, we understand it, we apply it, we hold one another accountable. We should be uh, in prayer at every level, being prayed over, be, praying with your pastor, sharing your requests with your small group, but then sharing those messy <laughs> prayer requests uh, with, with the, the few. And then caring for one another. We, we, again, we, we don't put the gospel on display unless we're caring for one another. We, we do that through big ongoing needs, but we have these little needs that we can give into. And then, of course, the mission. We want to put it on display. We want to encourage one another to share, and we want to send and support missionaries. And as we've seen from God's word, God wants that to happen at every level of fellowship. And so I want, I want to encourage you today to, to find these rhythms. Find these rhythms. I get it. Like there, there are some that you're going to lean towards saying like, I'm comfortable in the big fellowship. I have time for the big fellowship. But one-on-one, -on -one, like, I don't know that I want to be known like that. You know, I mean, you may have your reasons. Or you just say, well, I'm too busy. I've got all these things going on. Well, you know, how does God want you to spend your time as, as a member of his body, as a member of the church? Like these, these are things we need to be thinking through and praying through because we do want to catch God's vision for the church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship at every level. Let's pray. Father God, we need you and you have decreed that we need your people that we could have uh, true faithfulness, increasing faithfulness, and increasing fruitfulness through our fellowship with one another. God, we do want to grow in Christ-likeness. We don't want to be stagnant. God, we want to be used by you. We want to glorify your name as we spread the gospel in our neighborhoods, and to the nations. So God, would you teach us rhythms of fellowship? 
Would you help us to make sacrifices where we need to? Would you help us to be wise with our time, even wise with uh, the time we spend at church, if we should be spending it in a different uh, rhythm of fellowship? Lord, let us make sure that we're truly fellowshipping with the full community, fellowshipping with a a mid-sized group that can speak into our lives, but also with with these deep relationships. God, help us to build these deep relationships and to, to encourage one another, to exhort one another, to build one another up for your glory, God. Lord, we know these things intuitively. We pray that by seeing it from your word today, we would be motivated to make whatever changes necessary, knowing that, that this is your good path and your good plan. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.